Hello and welcome to Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. I am Lynn Franks, your host, and I am with my friend Michelle Feeney, a leader in the beauty industry and founder of the very successful Floral Street Perfumes. Michelle started in PR. In fact, she worked for me at Lynn Franks PR and her career moved to New York where she was headhunted by the Estee Lauder companies to work on prescriptives and creme de la mer before being promoted to vice president of global communications of MAC Cosmetics. She led MAC to become the world's biggest makeup brand, spearheading the legendary MAC AIDS Fund and Viva Glam initiatives, realising that beauty could create broader social awareness and change. After moving back to the UK, she went on to become the CEO of Saint-Tropez, pioneering their Prince's Trust collaboration, CEO of PZ Cousins Beauty Division, before taking a career sabbatical. Michelle is now back with Floral Street, a very modern British fragrance brand with sustainability and eco-responsibility at its very core. Like me, Michelle believes that it's all about supporting young people coming up And as she was one of the very talented young men and women who worked for me at Lynn Franks PR, who have grown into having enormous careers, we are working together to see how we can support other young people. I am delighted to welcome my good friend, Michelle Feeney, who is an extraordinary woman with an extraordinary story to tell. Michelle is a huge success, a leader, a pioneer in the beauty business, very much from a sustainable perspective and a businesswoman in many ways, but has an extraordinary story to tell. So we were just chatting because we've known each other for so long about how it all started. So what I wanted to do was really start about your beginnings, how you started, how you were brought up, what your expectations were when you brought up, where did you go to college? I mean, we talked a little bit about it. So where, where were you born? Where did you grow up to begin with? I was born in Birmingham in, in the middle of England in 1963. And of uh, my mum is Irish and my, my dad is Irish descent sort of thing. And, you know, my parents... Uh, got married they decided not to have a honeymoon so they could afford some floor covering for their flats I grew up in a really really loving extended family but um, but when you look back on the times you know my grandparents had an outside loo and no bathroom and you know it was that kind of thing Um, but I think what was brilliant was being we lived in this kind of immigrant bubble if you like of Irishness and and I I I think that saved me all my life really um of not being too too British and too um stuck in my ways you know we're very open very loving I did Irish dancing I don't think you know that Lynn I Um, didn't You know, I could have been a um, and um, could have been a river dancer. I could have been in in other times, but anyway, and um, there was no real expectations. It's, it was um, it was almost just to be kind of happy. And I, at one point, my parents had four jobs between them, um, just to keep us afloat. And I I I remember sometimes of you know thinking how hard they worked to give us better opportunities, and. Those were the expectations, you know, they were drivers, they, they took risks, they moved to Coventry from Birmingham, which seems a bit, not very far, but it was then. 
and and took on a biz running a business and living above the business and um you know they 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 were risk takers and they wanted something better so i think my example from them my dad both of them actually my mom had had to leave ireland when she was 12 and she had quite a privileged life there and suddenly you know she was sharing a room with another family you know the the immigrant story basically and and my dad was very very smart but his parents couldn't afford to send him to the grammar school which he passed for because they couldn't afford the uniform so you see how life has changed you know they were two smart people but you know they were they didn't have the opportunities and i think i've always had that inside of me this there's a couple of things the questioning uh, you know that that kind of irish positivity about questioning you know things if you don't believe they're right um and then also this sort of outsider feeling i've never felt really really british and i think when i did move to america that's when i think i found myself and i found i belong somewhere you know now you're back so before we moved to america because there were many many years before that yeah. um i think it actually also having come from an immigrant family myself um there's something about immigrants and entrepreneurs that yes. kind of connect because you know we have to or my great grandparents and my grandparents came over and had to create a life for themselves and really starting a business was the only way they could do it in those days and they weren't educated so they would do what they could do and and they had that fire and i think that's what we've inherited really i definitely think that's true the fire of come on let's let's make it and almost what have you got to lose so from school you went to college to polytechnic you were saying in in newcastle yeah and um what were you studying there just general subjects i guess oh, no no it was um it was a new modern degree it was called um it was like a marketing it was a a textile and food degree and it was a very practical degree as polytechnics were but i think what for me poly did was i am moving away from home as i and i always say this to young i get asked a lot i don't know if you do by sort of young adults do you think it's worth me going to university you know yeah. and and i normally give sort of three three feedback you know if if you definitely know what you want to do and you need to get that degree you should go if you want to move away from home and grow as a person you should go and i think i think i got more of that going to 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 poly i'd never met can you believe this lynn until i was 18 i'd never met a jewish person yeah and and then i got a jewish boyfriend and then i was you know making a number boyfriend. of jewish boyfriends if i remember <laughs> rightly some of them <laughs> um, i think it was so i did that um and then i lived with fashion students and they moved to london and they said to me you know we've we've met this woman it wasn't you it was my first boss leslie goring um and we think you'd be good at this thing called pr and i literally got on a coach and went down to london and met leslie and started working for her for no money and slept on slept on my friend's floor for a bit and then he came to work for me and then you were making money so we met when you came to me I don't know what year it was I've got no memory of it at all uh in terms of I'm very bad with years sort of late it was um late 70s early 80s late 80s yeah and I oh, late I 80s, okay yeah I'd always aspired to work for you because I mean you you'd built this amazing agency I worked in a much smaller one as you know and then I went in house at Trevor Sorby 
And then I, I met uh, Vicky Peeps at a party. And she said, oh, we're looking for somebody to do the beauty um, division. And I, I got thrown in the back of a Lynn Frank's van, which she had, and dropped off at the station. <laughs> and then the next morning, I, slightly hungover, I must add, I was in for an interview. And then, and then here I was working for you. I was a bit scared of you, actually, Lynn, I must say. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit scared of you these days. <laughs> How roles reverse. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm not scared of you at all. It's lovely to be here with you. So um, in those days, you know, it's funny because we've, you've been part of a number of uh, Zoom calls we've been having with former Lynn Franks alumni, um, mostly girls, but some men, over the last few months, we decided we were all going to get together and share our stories, which we all think are much funnier and um, really tremendously <laughs> different from our fab. And we've been having a lot of fun with it. And what's come up for me, which I hadn't realised, was how many of you um, had sort of well, I knew how many of you have gone on to do great things, but how many of you then gave me feedback that it was actually my belief that any of you could do anything that, that gave you that self-confidence? I really, you know, I, I talk about you a lot. I also believe you should thank the people in your life that has, have helped you in any way, shape or form, either helped you by telling you what you're doing wrong, there's nothing wrong with that, or helped you in any way to grow as a person. And what you did for all of us, I think, was you just, I, I really think the creativity that you inspired and that you stuck with and behind, and we, we tackled things really differently, didn't we? You know, I remember the, it wasn't my account, but when you did the Lloyds Bank Fashion Challenge, you know, fashion oh, I was fashion. talking about that literally this week, yesterday. I had really? meetings in Bristol about doing something with animation and graffiti, and I was just telling the people I was working with and working with about how we did the Lloyds Bank Fashion Challenge, which was amazing yeah. on TV. I think it was just, empower you empowered us. You empowered us to believe in our ideas. And then you empowered us to lead at a very early age. I was 26, you know, and I was running these accounts and, you know, completely out of my depth on one level of the corporate account piece. But on another level, I think what you brought for very boring, it was, it was, branding before it had a name Lynn really yeah. and you empowered us you know you said go be creative go be professional go work bloody hard and do your best you know and all those things together and and you were you're a big big powerful lady and still are and this I don't think people who weren't there realized what you had built I I, I sort of liken it to the Saatchi and Saatchi really of of PR I mean it really was it was it was it still would be today. If it you would were. be. Why didn't I keep going? Oh, just to keep my sanity, I think. <laughs> but um, not that I was asking you to talk about that, but it was very interesting that so many young people came to work for me. And looking back, I always thought that I was so much older than everybody else. But when I was chatting to all of you the other day, I realised that, I, well, I was older, but no more than about 10 years. And so I was like in my 30s and you were all in your 20s or even less before that and um, we were all young and we were all learning and we were creating an industry really together uh, and of course what's very exciting for me and we've been talking about it a little bit is how we can help the next generation to come along and that's something we've been talking about with our former Lynn Franks PR colleagues and with each other is how can we create projects I'm doing something this summer with a group of girls from Somerset where we're going to be doing skills learning and creative learning and I know that um I know very clearly that you and I are going to take that forward and do some interesting stuff. But anyway, to get back to your story. So you came and worked for me for I don't remember how long. I don't remember. A few, a few years. years. 
and that you are a fantastic, smart, bright, energetic, passionate young woman. And what did you do from there? Where did you go? And because I know you ended in New York fairly soon after that. Yeah, well, it's always involving. It was always involving um, a man, I guess. But I, um, the father of my son, um, was a record, is a record producer and songwriter, and he had a big project in New York. And he said, "Do you want to come with me?" And I remember you trying to talk me out of it, Lynn, actually. You said, if you were with a musician, music will be their first love, not you. Did I say that? And, and you did, you did. And don't go to New York, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you were right, of course, but I went. And because of working for you, with you, with all the incredible talent that you put together in Lynn Franks, and the incredible energy that London had in the 80s. I went to New York. I was pretty broke. We had, we had a lovely apartment, which my, my um, partner had got, but I wasn't earning. And then I interviewed um, the owner of Bumble and Bumble, Michael Gordon, for a, a piece I was writing. I was doing bits of journalism for, for back in England. And he called me the next day and said, I've, um, I've got a really good feeling about you. Would you would you come and talk to me? And there I am sitting in New York opposite this guy. And he said, I haven't had anybody do my PR or marketing, but I've got a good feeling about you. Would you come work for me? And that, it was, it was almost like the, that, you know, I was broke. I didn't. And had you had I, the baby by then or were you pregnant? No, no, not yet. I hadn't had, um, hadn't had Harry by then. And um, anyway, I started, I said, we've got to do some products. So we developed the Bumble products I really, st I changed all the branding because that was a thing that we did a lot of at, at Linz, you know, developing a new logo um, to, be a, to be that. And um, I got all these other clients and I ended up, Peter Gation, who owned the Limelight at the time, um, I did a hair show in the Limelight and then he put me in a room and he said, I want you, I'm opening this new club called Club USA and I want you to be head of all the PR and the launch and everything. And I said, I can't do that. I don't know anything about clubs. Anyway, he kept calling me in. And in the end, I, I thought, I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, I want this inordinate amount of money. And he'll say no. And he said yes. And I was like, oh, God, now I've got to do this. But it was life changing. I ended up running an agency, working nights, working, you know, with Prince, who did an after show show. It taught me about harnessing creativity for, you know, the nightclub world, what came from the nightclub into fashion. You know, again, it was a pivotal time, the 80s, um, the 90s in New York. And I, I ended up building this quite successful traditional PR agency. Um, and then I got pregnant with my son. And I think it was... I was about five and a half months pregnant. It was 4 a.m. And Prince had come after Radio City Music Hall, loaded in to do a show that nobody knew about. He just appeared on the stage. And I'm pregnant there. And I just thought, I think this is my last night of doing this. <laughs> but I had already been approached by Estee Lauder companies who gave me a call and they said, we know you've got your own company, but we, we've heard you the best. Would you come and talk to us? And that's when I, I didn't really know what I still order companies was really. I knew it was a brand. Anyway, I said, sure. And and I, had you split up with your uh, um, partner at that point? Yes. Because you were a single mother. Not only were you running this business and at all times yeah. of day and night, not only did you have a baby, 
but you were also a single mother in New York yes. with all your family and a lot of your friends back in the UK. Yes. Yes. And you're about, how old are you? You're sort of a very early 30. I was 30 when I had yeah. him. And I didn't, I had him without medical insurance, Lynn. And that really spurred me on to, to, that was when I started to really build my own company. And then I got headhunted and I had 10 interviews, 10 at Lauder, including Leonard Lauder himself. And I had a portfolio in the old days, you know, of press releases and everything. Um, and I had my last interview with this amazing woman who had built the whole of Estee Lauder International called Jeanette Wagner. Oh, yes, I've, I've met Jeanette Wagner. Yes. What a force of nature. What a force of nature. <laughs> and, she, and I said, excuse me, Miss Wagner, but, you know, um, is this the last interview I will have? And she said, um, yes, why? And I said, because I have no more outfits. I've run out. <laughs> And she laughed, she went and got a goodie bag, she gave it to me and she said, welcome to Estee Lauder Companies. And I said, I haven't said yes yet. And she said, you will. Uh, and and I, Estee Lauder, for those who don't know, not only had their own brand, but they owned so many other brands as well and still do, of course. I mean, Well, they didn't then, Lynn. They were still oh, really? private. They were still private. They only had Clinique Prescriptives, which is that I became um, executive director, uh, and Aramis and... and that was it then. Oh, they didn't have any of the others because, yeah. of course, now they've got, I assume. Yeah, oh, multiple. But they were starting to buy brands. And this is quite interesting because Leonard said to me, we want you for your entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and, and I then called my dad and I said, Dad, what do I do? I've got my businesses going through the roof, but I've been offered this big job. And he said, whatever decision you make, it will be the right one because you've made it, you know. And I think that's a good piece of advice to give to anyone. Don't regret decisions. You just have to go, this is the one I've made, you know. And then my office, I made the decision, yes, on the Thursday. On the Friday, the Bumble and Bumble um, building burnt down with my office in it. Oh, my God. I'm like, okay, okay. That's the message. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's a very big, I mean, apart from the the building burning down, that is a huge decision to have to make. I wonder what I would have done if that had happened to me. I, I have no idea. Probably I would have turned it down, but um, but then I'm not sure that that would have been the right decision either. It's a biggie. Oh, well, actually, I, uh, yeah, I would have definitely turned it down. But that it was my son. I did. I knew. You know. You know the sacrifice you made to your family, yeah. family life to run. You have to be out at events all the time. And yeah, you, no, totally. You know, it was like you'd stack events. You'd be out at four or five, you know, yeah. if you're running an agency. And I thought, I, I foolishly thought if I was in a corporation, you know, I'd have my medical insurance taken care of. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, I wouldn't have such a, you know, wouldn't have to go out all the time. But then, of course, I became vice president of Mac and i you know, travel the world and launch. I want to come back to Matt because that was when I re-caught up with you on visits to New York and it was, extra- it was extraordinary what you were doing with Mac. But we talked before about what would you have done if you'd stayed in London? In fact, I, I think my guess is you would have started a PR agency and had you been offered a big corporate job, you probably would have said no because London was a kind of safe place where you didn't need to take. I don't know, that's just my guess. New York is a very scary place and I to be there on your own with a small child... Of course, it's. I, I would have done the same as you. So, Mac, what an incredible opportunity to work with a business that has so much potential and then grow it the way you did. Tell us the Mac cosmetic stories. Well, we um, 
I launched Creme de la Mer for, for Lauder. I got given. I know that was great because you used to give me Creme de la Mer when I used to come to New York. The most expensive products to be seen anywhere on the market at that point, wasn't it? Like yeah, 150 it pounds for a moisturizer. It was. We, we unfortunately created that price point. But um, I, Lauder then really sort of started to see me as more of a business person and they, they wanted me to head up as um, like a sort of a managing director of, of and grow the the business and I turned it down and I think they were really quite shocked but again the reason I turned down being the number one you know the lead on a brand was because of my son because I thought I'm going to end up with no life and I won't see him and then they said it's okay we're we're, we're acquiring this other brands called Mac and we think you'd be good in that and then I met John Dempsey who's the president who was given his first presidential job as and him and I were the first two people from Lauder Inn. And Mac was a, it started in Toronto and it was two amazing men who were partners in life and partners in the business. And they'd created this amazing energy around cosmetics and they'd founded the Mac AIDS Fund. So they had already founded that fund, but kept it quite quiet. And they had signed and shot an ad with RuPaul so everybody knows who he is now, but no now. And blown everybody away. And most people in America, especially the Midwest, thought that was a, a woman. You know, but but first of all, to be using a, a person of color in a cosmetics ad at that time in America was was out there. Anyway, I, I said, come on, we've got to tell this story in a bigger way, this AIDS fund. It's brilliant. It was such a big thing to to be doing to promote this six foot tall, extraordinary, beautiful black man dressed as a woman um, as the face of Mac Cosmetics. Totally revolutionary. But I think the the if you look at the trail of my life and I try and see where I've used what I've learned from every little stage of it. So what I'd been prepped for between, you know, the fashion show production with Leslie and with you, I'd been prepped for using creativity to make change, you know? Yeah. And then and then when when I got this wonderful position with Mac and the Mac AIDS Fund, I felt my Catholic self combined with, you know, I, I it all came together and I thought, my God, you can do good. But what you have to do, and this was Evelyn Lauder also, who pioneered the breast cancer um, foundation. Yes, she did, big time. And the pink ribbon. You have to get successful first. You have to make a successful business and then you have the power to make some change. So it kind of takes all sorts. It takes, you know, the NGOs, the people trying to make social policy change, but it also does take cultural change. Yeah, on a big level. On a big I agree. Level. Just to tell you a little bit of synchronicity is that I'm not sure if you were still with me when I put on the Fashion Cares event in London which uh, also got taken up by Mac Cosmetics. That was the big AIDS awareness, HIV AIDS awareness campaign that I worked on with others in the industry, getting fashion designers all over the world to send in their signatures. We made it into a T-shirt and we did all sorts of very high profile activities. And that was taken on by Mac, wasn't it? And they still do. Didn't we do Red, Hot and Blue or something? As well? We did Red, Hot and Blue too. That was another one we did, yeah. I was there. Yeah. But- but the fashion cares because it was such a part of Toronto, and we we sponsored it every year. Yeah. As well. and know. then and then it was done on the west coast as well. And yeah. then Macy's took it on board and did it in San Francisco. So 
when I joined, we'd um, Katie Lang was the next face of the Mac AIDS Fund, and um, she performed at that Fashion Care. So. Amazing, and that all did start. And I know that because they contacted me oh about six six years ago and said we're doing a film about the background of Fashion Cares, which at that point was about twenty years, and we know it started in, with you in London. I don't know if you ever knew that. Because it was, a, we, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge event, but we started it. And that's where they wrote to me after that first year and said, can we take it over? And I said, sure. And that's what happened. Isn't that funny? Small world that we live it's in. All, it is all woven together. I think there's sort of, you know, culture, arts, fashion, the creativity within it and, and the passion to be involved and make change. I think, you and know. The, and the caring that we want. Yes, as you say, we want to make change. We want to make sure that society it's not just about spending lots of money and being very glamorous. It actually, we can make change through our businesses. And I know you feel that very strongly. So we're going to come on a little bit later to how you're doing that with your with your latest fantastic brand. But anyway, so so there you were sitting in your very, very smart office. Where was it? Fifth Avenue or somewhere like that? No, we were, no I was, you came to see us. We took over a building on Prince Street. We had oh, yes, you were funky. You were in, uh, you were in Soho. Yeah. It was very clever of um, Leonard Lauder. He said, you know, you shouldn't be in our big corporate offices. Take your own, remember, your own identity, you know. Yeah, because there's a, still a huge Mac shop there, isn't there, at the, yeah. downstairs. Because I, last time I was in New York, I went shopping there. Yeah, of course. So that's where you were in this very funky office running this global company, what it's marketing of it. Yeah. Um, and what fun you had, really. I think it was amazing seven years of my life. My, my son, I think... Uh, he says he didn't see me enough. And when I look back, you know, when you look back on your life and you say, you know, I didn't make, I, I was putting all my energy into work. Yeah. But it, Both it, my kids say they didn't see me enough. I know. And now he doesn't, <laughs> now he doesn't want to see me at all. So that's like, no, I'm joking. But um, I, I went to the United Nations. It was a quite a, a turning point. I, I knocked on the door of the UNDP because I know you work with the UN as well. And I said, are we allowed to give you money? And what has happened, we'd raised so much money from the Viva Glam lipstick that we almost couldn't give enough of it away in America. And, and AIDS in Africa was the issue. So Jabril Diallo, who was the head of the um, UNDP, said, come on in, of course you can. And I ended up on this steering committee board to, for AIDS in Africa at the UN. And we, they had a, a New York Times writer who'd lived through the AIDS pandemic, pandemic and change, where they came up with the idea of, you know, stop the silence. And we had African people around the table not speaking English. It was really incredibly interesting, Lynn, about mobilizing a group of people who some of them you don't even speak the language, you know. Sure, sure. And, and, and you can't do a video in Africa, or you couldn't then. You know, it had to be singers. Yeah, we went out. So Baba Mal became, you know, he said, I'll go out and I'll tell the I story. love Baba Mal. Yeah. And, I, and then Chris Blackwell, I got to meet and we ended up doing a lot with world music. And anyway, I had Mary J. Blige, who I'd signed for the Mac AIDS Fund because it was um, African-American women were suffering the most at that time from AIDS. It was growing. So I thought she could tell the story. And um she performed a Stevie Wonder song in the big grand, you know, room at the UN. And we gave Kofi Annan a check for $750,000 as a start off. And that led to Bill Gates giving money. And I got to work with Bill Clinton and his foundation. 
And I think I do know if I wouldn't have met my husband at that time, I probably would have ended up working for Bill Clinton's foundation, I think. Really? Yeah. But it was an amazing lesson in how commerce and beauty, the passion I have for beauty industry, can change one woman's life, but also it can make a big change, you know, yeah. it, really, it really can. Which is an amazing story. The whole Mike story is extraordinary. But then you came back to England. So what brought you back? Another man. Another I, man. I, I, I'm not doing this anymore. No, um, I met my husband at a wedding in Florida and we transatlantically courted um, because I wasn't, I wasn't jumping ship. I had a good life. You know, I had a fantastic life and my son was happy but he asked me to marry him and I thought okay maybe it's your husband American no 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 he's Welsh so um so I um I I thought maybe it's time to go home I'd lost my dad in the time that I'd been in New York um and and Mac moved my role to London so I um I then went on to launch China and India for Mac um and um making different kind of headway in it with AIDS in each of those countries um, and then I, I thought it was time I had a second child at 41 and I thought it was time I had a bit of a rest really. So you left you stepped out and how long did you have a rest for? Not very long because then I took over being CEO of Saint-Tropez and that's, that's that, that. that was game changing again because it was private equity and I'd never done that and I um I turned the company around. It was really not in a good place financially. Rebranded it, sold it into America, and then we sold the company. And I got, I made some money from that. And I think I wrote to you at that time, didn't I? Yeah, we kept in touch all through this, I remember. But I remember when you you had investors in the company and you gave us all a bonus, and I was really inspired by that. And so what I had done when we sold Saint-Tropez, I'd blocked out a chunk of money so even the people that worked in the warehouse would get something you know perfect Brilliant. so you have to pass it on you know and yeah, uh, yeah. Totally. and then from that you then created a number of brands or bought in a number of brands didn't you what, what was the story there which turned um, again into an international business yeah you said cousins uh, wanted a beauty division building and they bought they'd acquired Saint-Tropez and they had Charles Worthington and sanctuary sanctuary spa and sanctuary brands and i put them all together and built a beauty division for them and that's when i had the idea for floral street because sanctuary spa was on floral street and i kept going and one day i looked up at the sign and it said floral street and i thought what a great name for a fragrance brand so i've done it for myself this time lynn yeah you did it for yourself so what was the time span when when did you start floral street that wasn't that long ago was it no, I had a gap year at 51 and I really wanted to take a hard look at whether I wanted to A, do something commercial or, or go charity routes. And even if the world needed any more beauty products, frankly. So I took this year off and I really got my adrenals down and I just sort of looked at my, my son was, what was he then, about 20 and my, maybe a bit younger and I looked at how they were not starting to not consume. And when you're at home more, you see all, you know, the packaging and everything. And I, I just thought if I'm coming back in, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to make a stand. And, and so I, I launched the brand when I was 53. So it was about nearly four years ago. Uh-huh, not that long. And now 
I mean, there's been a long story, but it sounds like it happens in five minutes. You're in 11 countries. I mean, what? It's, it's 13. 13. 13 since I last looked. Anyway, that's incredible. Yeah. And um, it's become not only perfume, but many other products too. You were talking to me the other day about going into houseware and tell, tell us about what's happening now. Well, we, we're a sustainable, independent British sustainable brand, all funded by my husband and I. So but that's liberating because I, I, I don't have to answer to any, you know, I can stick with what I believe in. Um, and um, we are launching a whole new range of sustainable home products as well. In America, Nordstrom have, are going to put it into 100 doors. Think about what, what I've really learned starting my own company. First of all, it's really hard. It's really difficult starting and getting from a starting it's point. It's saying people can't actually smell it. I'm going to squirt it. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Okay, everybody. I am now smelling wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's wild vanilla orchid. That's really beautiful one. It's actually. absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, but is is working with young people like I'm really enjoying. We've got sort of a bunch of grown ups and then a bunch of young people, and I really think it's modern modern companies. You both need each other to really make a success. Like I can't do. I can do certain things, and I know what I want to see. But somebody that's 25 sees it differently, is more in tune with what's what's going on in digital media and can make it happen. And I think really you were quite close in it. You were a very young leader of a company. I'm I'm a I'm a sort of an older leader. And I think modern management now is amazing, Lynn. It's um you have to be much more flat about how everybody acts and oh i get from i mean we are a small business compared to to what you're doing with floral street but it's we go right across the ages and lucy who's sitting next to me handling all the tech is 21 and we've had other younger even younger than lucy working here and it's yeah and and then there's me the old lady but we're all learning from each other i think yeah. so that's what it's so exciting that's mod, modern inspiration it's really like learning from each other you know yeah uh, um and generational you know my mom at 79 now almost has got more in common with my 16 year old daughter because she's so into tech my mom you know even with <laughs> gardening she's got an app that tells her what plants are and things like oh, that that's brilliant. so I, I think this tech it isn't the enemy of everything I mean it I, I think it's really interesting the way it's it's joined generations also you know yeah so you are very strict in the way that you run Floral Street in terms of sustainability. You believe in it, it's your values, and it's what you care about. So, I mean, I'm surrounded here by your products, your lovely, beautiful products and the packaging. But every single thing, do you want to explain a little bit about the packaging? And sure. Well, this this box that the 50 mils come in, so we, we've got yeah. this. We designed this. Uh, Michael Nash, who worked with me on design, we got this designed and then it had to go off to Korea to be specially molded and then we work with a 180 year old paper mill in the Lake District and we make this in one minute out of pulp and so it is totally compostable you can grow seeds in it you can reuse it and then all the ingredients that are in this bottle I can tell you where they're harvested um, we work with Robert A who have incredible credentials for CSR and they they work with communities around the world because ingredients for fragrance come from all over the world. You know, Madagascar, um, Haiti, 
the growing of vetiver in Haiti helped rebuild it after the earthquakes because it's it's a root. So I've educated myself more about you know the ingredient story, and I I we wanted at Floor Street you want to share that with consumers you know you should know where things are coming from yeah. how it's been made and i know fashion's been doing it and food's been doing it but i don't think the beauty industry's been doing it no very no much. it hasn't i mean first of all to start designing perfumes is a huge job in itself the nose as they say in the industry yeah. so finding these beautiful fragrances mixing them and then ensuring that they come from communities that are not exploited that they are grown naturally they're actually helping the planet and not exploiting the planet and then going in packaging, all of which I've, I've looked through all, all the paperwork I've got on what you're doing. I mean, it's so impressive that every single thing is so carefully designed and done to be sustainable. And and presumably, I mean, what is the future looking like? Um, what's the next bit? You're going into homeware. Do you see yourself doing more brands? Do you want to develop Floral Street? It's now got a life. It's starting to get a life of its own. I, I can't, you know, America has embraced us in such a huge way. And it's because consumers, the young consumers are wanting exactly what we've done. So I had to be really brave like Four years ago when we launched, nobody really was writing about beauty products and sustainability. But all of a sudden, every company is trying to go, oh, my God, I need a sustainability story. But we've had it since the beginning. So I'm on a journey with that. I do see I want to take it. I want to build this lifestyle brand in order as I said before, like what Mac taught me was, if you're successful, it gives you a voice and a little bit more power to maybe make change, not just environmentally, but with young people who we have the opportunity to inspire and give back. And I think what I'm what I'm loving about building a company is that inspiration you can give to people, that know-how, you know, and being part of a team is the best feeling for me, you know, really. Well, but the next question is very relevant to what you just said, which is, do you think women run businesses in a different way to men? Um, or is, is there a feminine way of running business? Is it is it not a gender issue at all, but much more about a sort of philosophy of life? Because I know your husband runs a very successful business too, and I imagine it's not a million miles away from the same values that you have. I don't know, really. I think that's quite interesting. I think men and women are very different, full stop. I think modern men are approaching things in a much more feminine way. I think there's a feminine and a masculine way of running a company, but you don't have to, you can be a feminine man and a masculine woman. And I I think it's, I would say my husband's very feminine in his, in his approach in that he is, he listens a lot. He cares about people who work with him and for him. He he runs it in a more methodical way than I would potentially. And I also think it's an age thing. I, th- I think, you know, I've had to build my own self-esteem throughout my life to, to know I'm capable of doing it. Whereas I think if you're a young person now and your parents have helped give you that self-esteem, no matter whether you're male or female, you can do things. I, I'm, I'm not so sure, actually, that it's an age thing. I think... I think, I think it's a gender issue. I think women of all ages, and that includes young women too, have enormous self-esteem issues. Mm-hmm. And it's actually about older women really holding the space and older men, but really for older women to, to be examples and to say to younger women, yeah. yes, you can do it. We believe in you. I believe in you. I've done it. You know, I mean, I, you went on to poly for a year. I left school at 16. And we can show that it's all, it's all possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think society has not encouraged 
women of any age to feel that they can do things as well as men. We are still many, many moons away from the amount of women that are running big businesses or that are running um, education establishments. We have a, quite a lot of women running countries now, so I can't say that anymore, but it's still less. It's still a lot less. So we have a long way to go. And also we're looking as, uh, at countries, you know, in Africa and um, Asia and the Middle East, where, where you've done so much work in internationally, you can see that there's still women and young girls are not getting the education or the opportunities to be equal. So we have a lot of work to do, but I think we're on the road now to change and we can make that change happen and we can make it happen by working together like we've been talking about collaborating what can we do to make this difference because Michelle you are such an extraordinary woman you are so capable you have such energy and um, I have no doubt whatsoever that Floral Street is just going to continue on its incredible trajectory to success no question about that but I know there's going to be a lot more things that you've probably got bubbling away inside you so that's what I'm trying to pull out. But I think you're probably so busy right now doing everything else that you're not focusing. But I'm sure you've got other ideas. I mean, if you could do anything, if you could do a blue sky picture of where your life would be in five years, 10 years, what would it look like? I think I'll probably move geographies. I would like to, I would like for the next, um, from 60, for my next you know, decade to be challenging myself in some other way, um, uh, as in living in, in in a different country again and I also I think you know my husband and I've talked about doing something with education with young people and putting it together you know and 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 doing something positive I I do feel although I've had to really you know fight hard and and be dig deep to get to get where I've got in my life now I feel very I, I can tackle things, but I want to do them really well. And I really feel one of my big skills is inspiration and giving back and helping helping young people find their path. And I think it's about finding that path, really. And now it's time for the seed, unique and exclusive exercise that I always make part of the theme of my podcasts. So Michelle and I have been talking about how to help younger generations. So what I would like to suggest you might do this week is to find a young person in your life, perhaps a family member or a friend's son or daughter or someone you just have some kind of association with. And why not share some kind of skills or support or wisdom that you have learned, possibly through your mistakes as well as through your successes, and plant some seeds of wisdom with them. Maybe support them and continue to support them as a mentor. I know it's going to be a two-way situation and you'll enjoy every minute. Thank you so much for listening and indeed taking part with me at Frankly Speaking. Remember, we're going to be putting up episodes every two weeks and we have more insightful conversations with extraordinary women to come. So do join me again. If you like what you hear and want to learn more practical methods to help you plant the seeds in your own empowerment journey, then please subscribe to this podcast, rate it and review. Also, make sure to join our Seed Network if you haven't already. And together with thousands of like-minded women, you'll make friends, promote your business and share your stories. You can find out all about it by visiting seednetwork.com. Until then, see you next time. Bye.